And we are live. Welcome, folks, to episode 34 26 Bible Podcast as we uh, enter into our bi-weekly schedule. We have two interviews one week and then one the next. And so this is the two-interview week. So it's Tuesday interview day. I have a longtime community member, A.J. Harrison, hanging on. He's going to be with us in just a moment. We're going to talk about something I've talked about a little bit here and there, but we've never done a dedicated show on it in 15 years, and we probably should have by now. Casting lead bullets. Uh, when you look at your ammo situation, you've got you know a variety of components there. One of the most important, if not the most important, is that pill that goes downrange, you know, and kills things with uh, terminal lead poisoning. So we're going to talk about how to make those things yourself today, where you can material like cast and, and scale efficiently. Uh, talk about lubing. That's really actually pretty important in a lot of places, but especially here. Uh, we'll talk about sizing and finishing. We'll even talk about gas checks. And I'm going to ask AJ if he knows about my uh, my technique of making, uh, I don't know, a, a redneck version of a nozzler partition. I'm sure we'll get into that at some point as well uh, with lead casting. And anyway, before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day today. Sponsor today, number one today, is K9 Academy uh, with Joel Riles. This is where you're going to learn how to train your dog by first getting trained yourself, if you ask any dog trainer what is the most difficult species they work with or most difficult breed they work with, if they follow what you're asking and they think about it, they're all going to give the same answer. Humans, the dog's easy, the human's the hard part. But with Canine Academy, you can learn how to create, control, and correct. That's what every dog trainer does. But when Joel and I sat down to define what he did, and to make it concise and easy to remember, that's what we came up with. You create a situation where the dog can fail. You control the situation so nothing bad happens, and you correct the behavior, and then you condition the response. And that's the way we get everything done when it comes to training, where it's protection training, just a homestead dog that won't eat your chickens, a dog that will guard your property, a, guard, a dog that will look after your kids. Whatever it is you're looking to do, that is the process. Joel has a tremendous option uh, list of courses that you can take. I really recommend everybody that works with dogs, even if you think you've got this all down, take the basics course. It's only 89 bucks. Uh, check it out again. It's at canineacademy.us. Next up, returning to the Survival Podcast fold of sponsors, Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason. His website is usaberkeyfilters.com. If you're going to get a Berkey, and you should if you don't already have one, or get new filters for your Berkey because you already got one, then why get it from anybody else other than the Berkey guy himself? I mean, you can go to a gun show and pick up your Berkey stuff from a guy that got into selling Berkey like yesterday, or you can deal with Jeff Gleason, the Berkey guy himself, who's been working with Berkey and selling Berkeys for longer than the Survival Podcast has even existed. I'm not exactly sure how long it is, but it's more than 15 years. One of the biggest resellers for Berkey in the country. Definitely has the company's ear, so he can help you out with any kind of problems. A madman at customer service. And I'm happy to welcome back as a sponsor, Jeff the Berkey guy Gleason at USA Berkey Filters. Dot com. With that, let's go ahead and get our special guest in the room with us. Hey, AJ, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack. Hey, man, I'm glad to have you here. We're going to talk about bullet casting today. But before we even talk about bullet casting, who is who is AJ, man? Like, let's go back to, like, your space out in study hall or whatever, and, you know, you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. And, you know, what's your professional background, and how does that lead you into the world of, 
you know, homesteading, casting bullets, all the kind of things that we talk about on a show like this. So my roots actually go back to, to playing with lead and casting, like from the beginning. Um, okay. my dad's, my dad worked at a, a tire company and, um, was always around wheel weights and stuff. <clears throat> and he started a business doing, um, anchors and sinkers and that eventually turned into casting bullets. And so we were just using a cheap byproduct to get by. I mean, there was not a, you know, we were, we were pretty poor. Um, and so <clears throat> he started casting bullets, um, and, and got into reloading. And then, um, we eventually moved and bought bigger equipment and my mom did the casting. And then when we got home from school, we helped with the sorting and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then when we moved again, um, at about the age of 13, I decided to pull the equipment out and, and get going because I wanted to make some cash myself. Uh, financially, the family was in a better shape. Uh, so that equipment was just sitting there and I, I saw the dollar signs. Um, you know, really, I was not, I'm not a good, wasn't a good kid in school. Um, I was on, I was on the volunteer fire department. Um, I've always been community oriented. Um, and I would literally have my pager in class and make it do a test page and be like, see a teach. I got to go. We got a fire call um, and just leave. And I wasn't going and doing that um, for the most part. So um, oh, you know, I wish I had that scam. Wow. <laughs> you know, it was it was pretty cool. They never they never actually caught on. Um, I didn't do it all the time. I just did it when I really didn't want to be there. And so you're um, undisciplined, but disciplined. You do not overplay your hand. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a fine line between getting away with it and getting caught. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, so I've I've always been really like ADHD and, and can't sit still. And so, um, you know, I was I'd leave school and go cut firewood and sell firewood, and make money, you know, just always running different schemes and scams. Um, you know, I, I went to Africa at the age of 17 and worked for a professional hunting outfitter. Uh, for six months. And that was an experience. Came home from there, uh, started working full time, um, got married, ended up getting a divorce at 22. Um, and the thing that was able to provide the income when I was d- newly divorced, going through all that with full custody of my son, um, we fired up the casting equipment again. Um, and we built that into, I mean, we were at one point in time producing 100,000 rounds a day um, with the equipment that we have, selling to big companies like national companies. Um, after the, after the divorce, um, was running full time doing like 32 gun shows a year, uh, in Montana, Northern Washington, all the way down to Utah. Um, kind of got burned out on doing that. So I went to construction, ended up getting remarried. Um, I've always had prepping in the background, but it was always like the, we're going to buy guns and, and have all the ammo and then we'll just take the stuff we need. Like that stupid mantra, um, that people have. Um, so when I got remarried, um, we, uh, I, I moved into more construction stuff, had a paint company, ran that, had a bunch of employees, decided employees sucked and, um, <laughs> bought a catering company in 2020 during the shutdown. Like everything was shut down. We bought a catering company for almost nothing. And I've been doing that full time for the past couple of years, um, okay. while adding a few things in here and there, um, and we bought a building right at the right time, fixed it up, built a kitchen and it sold it. So now we've got a big semi that we run down the road that's a that's a full kitchen. Um, and we're moving into uh, manufacturing of some freeze, freeze-dried products with a new facility we're working on. Um, yeah, it's just kind of all over the place. You know, I always thought I was just super hardcore ADHD, um, but I guess I was really just trying to be a polymath. 
Yeah, I think it's that like when you're a, a a person that has a lot of energy and, and and a good work ethic, you will fall into one of two sides of things. You will become a specialist, and you will put everything you have into a thing. And and, and honestly, those people are not me, and clearly they're not you. And they usually go further because they stay on that one thing. But people like us, I think if we try to do that, we get miserable. We get bored. We want to have variety in our lives, so we spread a little bit more thin. But I think it, it, it I think it's a more fun way to live. I guess is maybe maybe it's not the the way to make the most money, but you can make a lot of money and you can be happy. And I think I'd rather have that than have more money and not be happy. Yeah, my my friends say I'm semi-retired. I mean, I work more than full time, but they're like, dude, you live the life, and that that's pretty odd. I'm not going to retire at 65, but really nobody is. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to retire. I always no. say that, you know, I love what I do, and that's what makes me semi-retired. It's not about the hours work. It's about you want to do what you're doing. And I, I'm not going to lie. There's days where I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed right now. <laughs> but it beats the alternative of staying in there. So let's let's get into the bullet casting thing itself. Explain for people that maybe have never even heard the term before, exactly what does it mean when you say, I'm going to cast bullets? So, um, you know, anybody that's familiar with ammo knows that there's a projectile that goes downrange. Um, that's the bullet. Um, you know, everybody says, well, I got bullets. Well, no, you have ammunition. Um, the, the bullet is the projectile. And so there's a couple different, couple different things. There's, there's going to be solid bullets that are going to be brass or copper lathes. Um, there's going to be jacketed or plated bullets. And then there's cast bullets. And that's where we're actually melting lead in a furnace, pouring it into a mold letting it start to cool down a little bit, releasing it, um, and forming, you know, we're, we're basically, we're foundering. Gotcha. Gotcha. And for the person that's out there, look, you know, I can, I, I can tell you that, you know, I've actually held back on doing shows on reloading the last couple of years, because every time I've gotten a hair for it, when I check and I know new people are going to try to start, like, there's something not in supply and it's been primers or it's been powder, right? Or, it, you know, I, I haven't really seen a lot of times where the projectiles themselves, the pills are really hard to come by. So some people might say, why do this? Why cast bullets versus just, you know, order them from Hornady or whatever. You know, there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of different reasons. Um, there, just in nine millimeter alone, um, there's like 15 different grain sizes and bullet configurations. And so while there might be 124 grain nine millimeter round nose available from these guys, you might want something with a truncated cone or something that isn't available at that time. And that's just just going to depend on what your um, what your exact application is. Are you punching paper? Um, are you shooting things that have legs that walk? Um, what are you, what are you doing there? Um, and while there is typically bullets available, they do dry up as well. It kind of seems to go, um, from, you know, the, the primer and powders are the big thing and then casings. And then, uh, in preparing for the show, I was taking a look and there's a lot of things out of stock at a lot of the suppliers that, that I buy from because I've been too lazy and busy to cast lately. Gotcha. I think there's just, there's a ton of things you can do that you can't necessarily buy or like you said, you know, maybe this one manufacturer has it, but it's not in the exact configuration that you want or what have you like, especially when I think when you get into handgun hunting, uh, there are 
some real calls for maybe some really heavy uh, bullets uh, for 357 or uh, 44, for instance, are real popular that are not necessarily that easy to acquire. Yeah, totally. That was that was one of the big money makers was going to be a um, a heavyweight hunting bullet, uh, wide flat nose with a gas check on it for like your 10 millimeters, your bears, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff is hard to find. And that's super high dollar ammunition if you go to try to buy it. You know, you're talking yeah. four or five dollars around for for, a, you know, for a 10 millimeter. And what you're really paying for is the bullet. Yep. Yeah. You can put as much powder in here as you want as long as you don't blow yourself up. So you're not paying for the cartridge or the primer. You're paying because that round is loaded, like you said, with like a, a very heavy for caliber flat point, which, yeah. again, is if you if you go back and look at the history of handgun hunting, for example, and some of the like Elmer Keith and these guys that like their first forays into it before there was a 44 Magnum or there was a 357 Magnum and they were basically loading 38 specials and 44 specials to not quite safe loads. But that's what they used to get the performance out of an otherwise underperforming round was these really heavy flat points because the the way those things penetrate and the amount of tissue damage they do because they have that think about something going through flesh, but it's being pushed through with momentum and there's no point. Right. And even if you don't get a lot of expansion, you get a lot of damage and tremendous penetration. So that's why those guys kind of defaulted to that. And just because we have better uh, platforms today, like moving up to magnums and stuff, doesn't mean that that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. It's all about kinetic energy transfer. That's, that that's the whole premise behind any ammunition and the wider, the wider, um, you know, the flat nose is called a met plate and the wider the met plate on that bullet um, the more kinetic energy transfer you're going to have, which is going to cause not only the tissue damage, but it's going to cause concussive damage to the nervous system, which is going to help put that animal down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, somebody says, Hey, this sounds interesting. I want to give it a shot. And they have nothing, right? They have this podcast and uh, maybe a recommendation for a book or three. Um, what are the basic materials a person needs to start casting their own rounds? So first and foremost is lead um, and lead, you know, everybody's all, you know, the lead poisoning, the lead paint, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Lead's out there and available. And it's really, I mean, it's the same thing as cooking. It's all, it's all a part of, of hygiene and how you handle yourself. Um, so you've got to get some lead, um, you know, and, and really if you're going to get going, you need to start with at least 50 pounds of lead um, because you're going to, you're going to buy a furnace um, or a, a melting pot um, and those are readily available all over the place. Uh, you can get into, you know, you could get into a base melting pot for about a hundred dollars on Amazon. Um, you know, and, and so you're going to take, um, and melt that lead. Well, you need at least 15 to 20 pounds, depending on the capacity in order to actually melt and be able to cast through consistently because there's 7,000 grains in a pound and each bullet, you know, if you're 200 or 250 grains, um, you're burning through that lead fairly quick. Um, you need molds. And then, I mean, really, if you have a basic pot and molds, you can be casting. And then it's just moving on to the lubing and sizing from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. What would, is there any particular books or forms or anything like that that you would recommend? Um, Richard Lee's, you know, uh, book that, that is with, comes with all the Lee reloading kits gives a pretty good breakdown of it. That's where I learned the most about it. I didn't have anybody to teach me this about the only lead we cast was for decoy weights. 
Uh, so we never really did this when I was a kid. And so I came to it later in life. And that's where I really went, oh, this isn't hard. Do you have any recommendations for resources? So kind of the Bible that we kind of live off of and base off of for casting is the Lyman Cast Bullet Handbook. Uh, Fourth edition is available right now on Amazon for like 30 bucks. Okay, fair enough. And and that's got a ton of content and information. And really, I mean, as long as you're in a well-ventilated environment, and you're not licking the lead. You know, you're washing your hands afterwards. Um, biggest thing is smokers. Most people have issues with lead because they're casting and then they're smoking. Um, and they that lead gets on the paper. And so they're ingesting lead fumes um, very a lot. Um, so as long as you're hand, having basic safety um, and the, the biggest thing is water, keeping water away. Yeah, that's exactly it right there. Um, I have multiples of those and and. I always had one in my backpack for the longest time, but um, the uh, melted lead and and water don't mix. It pops. It's water and oil. Um, As long as you don't do that, I mean, really, you can trial and error and and figure it out pretty quick. It's not actually that hard. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess, you know, we can look at it as there's a lot of skills we've lost, but if you go back 150 years and keep going back from there, every person that owned a firearm pretty much did this. Oh, yeah. Especially like our forefathers that, you know, it was something they would do in the evening, you know, to make sure they had enough uh, bullets available for their, you know, their flintlocks or their percussion rifles later. And I even remember, like, remember the old TV series uh, Little House on the Prairie? That came from a series of novels by... Uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder that was very factually based. And it w- if you read those books, they're far more, I guess, hardcore would be the terminology than the TV show was because it was frontier living. And in the one of the first, it might be the first book, she talks about watching Pa make these uh, these musket balls and wanting so badly to touch them because they were shiny when they came out. But she knew if she did, she would burn herself. Right. So that tells you this was like ingrained into the fabric of society. And if we look at society as a whole, no matter what, we can say they were made of different stuff or whatever. In the end, not the most intellectually brilliant human beings if you go to the mass of, of society. So if they could do it with no Internet, no books, no nothing, just Paul teaching his kid, we can probably figure it out pretty quick on our own. Yeah, I mean, like everything, it's it's gotten a lot more advanced, um, and that has to do with rifling and and I mean, the muskets still had rifling, but um, yeah, you know, your 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 new powders are so explosive and hot. You've you've really got to watch. That's the biggest thing when, is when you move into actually loading the bullets that you're making, um, where things get really complicated because a lot of people complain about well, you can't shoot cast or lead bullets because they foul the barrel. Well. I mean, unless you're shooting like a Glock with polygonal rifling, that's yeah. that's an issue. But I've shot thousands of rounds through Glocks with polygonal <laughs> rifling with no with no real lead issues. Um, but the biggest time you find lead it um, leading is um, when you're trying to push those bullets, you know, over 900 to 1,000 feet per second and really cranking them, uh, especially with a really hot powder. Um, yeah. Because it's flash melting the base of that bullet, and that's what the gas checks for on the hunting rounds. Yeah, we we can talk about. The gas checks in a second, but I guess people need to look at this as like there's different levels of what you do with the casted projectile after it's done. And a lot of us that do some casting, we tend to use them more in your target loads or cowboy action shooting or something like that. 
rather than trying to put one out the barrel of the 30 out six to 2,700 feet per second. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about how you can do that if you really want to, but it's probably not the best choice for that application. Like there are, there is a place for modern copper jacketed Nosler partitions or fed premiums or whatever. And then there's also this entire other world over here, right? Yeah, you know, we we made a couple 30 caliber bullets, but those were for like specialty things. The vast majority of the product we made was uh, was for guys that want to go have an economical thing that they can throw down range because mm-hmm. they, they want to stay in practice and they want to shoot a lot. Um, and and just like reloading, it's kind of a culture. You know, it's it's kind of what you do in the off season. Um, wintertime is casting and and and. Uh, and reloading time and summertime is shooting time. So it gives you some, you know, it gives you something to do when it's cold outside and stuff. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, we had several competition shooters that, that um, even in competition shoot our bullets, but they were running, you know, 40, 50,000 rounds a year through their pistols. Um, yeah. Yeah. I get it. And I mean, I don't run anywhere near that much ammo through all my guns combined. Right. I, I wish like- I could. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't really have, like, I can't shoot, like, when I lived in Arkansas, I shot a lot more because I could just go out on the back porch and shoot, and that's not really safe where I, it's legal, but not safe where I'm at, um, but, like, the, the round, or the, the bullet that I cast the most, if I cast my own, is a 300 grain hard cast lead, and I'm loading out at a very moderate velocity for 44 Magnum, it's really a 44 special load, it's quiet, penetrates like no get out. It's almost like you in a carbine, it's like shooting a suppressed round without having to have a suppressor or a stamp. So it's, it's kind of a, like that was a niche that I found in playing around. And I think that's another thing you get to play with things and do things you would never do otherwise, you know? So I wanted to actually ask you about that. I don't know if you, you know, how long you've been listening to the show or whatever. I don't think I've talked about this forever, um, but there is a way to cast a lead bullet there's a very soft nose, mushrooms substantially, yet has a solid base. And so it's kind of, I always call it like a redneck nozzle or partition, even though there's no partition. And are you familiar with that at all? I'm not. That's that's something I've never really, like, there's so many different avenues with all this. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, no. I always try to give credit, but this is so long ago that I read this. I don't remember if it was a backwoods home or like shooting times or something like that. And the way you do this, and it's actually really cool, and you only need to make a little bit of these because for practice you don't need them. This, because how many rounds do you really fire hunting? This is a hunting round. And what you do is you figure out, let's say you want 40% of the bullet to be so, you know, pure soft lead. And then you want the balance, let's say the 60%, to be uh, a, a full, like a hard cast with a little bit of block tin added to it or something. So you make a measure. Usually we make them out of a, a spent cartridge, like a piece of nine millimeter or 44 or 45. And you cut it till it'll be like a little scoop and it'll hold the amount of lead that you want that soft nose to be. And so that gets dropped into the mold and then it gets the rest of it gets poured from your hard cast lead. And they kind of fuse together. So when that round hits, that super soft nose just blows and mushrooms, but you know, the back 60, 70% of that round is a solid pill that just keeps pulling through. And it was like, I read that that was actually one of the things that pushed me over and made me learn how to do it. Cause I'm like, I want to do this just to say that I, I I've done it. And it actually works. And it does. It's really cool. That sounds like fun. 
Yeah, and it's like I said. The, see, the thing is, since they all weigh the same, it all weighs the same, right? So uh, you could use a certain mold and cast all your rounds out of that for practice, and only make your hunting rounds with the extra process. So you might, you know, cast a dozen of those a year or something. It's just a like like you were saying, like there's such a, a culture to it, and a community to it. You don't even know what you can do until you start playing with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you get on forums and you think you know a bunch. I mean, I've been I've been doing this for 20, actually almost 30 years. And I get on forums and, and look at stuff and it's like, holy cow, you know, you don't even know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like, how do you expand and, and stay efficient? Like, because if you're going to make like, you know, a dozen rounds, that's pretty easy to do but if you were like you mentioned these people that are shooting tens of thousands of rounds a year if we're sitting there casting in a single you know spruce plate knockover there's one two it it would take a while so are there ways that we can scale up with this there are um there's one company that i know and love and have a, a pretty good relationship with that's called magma engineering um and they build um you know they they start off with with the mild of it's a, it's a melting pot. And then there's uh, the molds are actually on a handle. And so it's a cycle of up and down and you can, you can produce efficiently. I mean, you can cast a lot of bullets that way somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, four to 500 an hour. If you really, if you really got it dialed in and know what you're doing. Um, And then they build equipment all the way to fully automated that casts 4,000 rounds an hour. Um, that's it. That that's it right there. They've um, they've got a, a a magma Mark Eight um, that they're basically on a Ferris wheel. They the they spin around, um, you know, and and at the top, <clears throat> excuse me, at the top they uh, they fill up with lead, and then there's a, a set for the sprue plate, and that's that's the top of the uh, um, the uh, the mold. There, you're going to knock that off. So it's a funnel on a plate. You knock that off, and then the base of your bullet's flat, and that's basic on every um, every one. And so that kind of gets knocked off, and then it spreads those molds apart and has air pneumatics that tap the side, drop them down, and then it cools and then goes back up. And so you can run those machines basically 24 hours a day. And we used to run them on 10 to 12 hour uh, cycles for three to four days a week. Um, and it's just amazing how fast you can go through 10,000 pounds of lead. Really? Yeah. My, my mom and I worked full time together. Um, we had in our shop, we had a, a 10 by 12 room uh, with a ton of ventilation and everything with three of those casters in there. Um, and then the next room over was our reloading room slash Luber sizer room. Um, and the sizers can run 6,000 rounds. And so my mom and I, um, just the two of us, basically, uh, we were producing, you know, literally millions of rounds a year. Gotcha. Gotcha. But you don't anymore. This is a hobby for you we now. Don't anymore. No, my uh, <clears throat> my parents got a divorce um, when I was when I was doing the full when we were doing it full time, and she okay. moved away, and so I was carrying it. Uh, basically, you know, my dad was helping as much as he could, but he's got a full time job. He manages a tire store, you know, so he's, he's yeah. seventy eighty hours a week, um, and I had my full custody of my son, so um, I was literally working while he was asleep, and then would go to gun shows. And that was when I was getting the most sleep during the weekend was when the gun show ended till it started. Um, and, and going from there and I just, I burn out and I, I and got so, you. Yeah. 
Yeah. So where can people source lead from? I mean, you can just go buy raw lead, but there's a lot of other ways to do it. When I was a kid, again, we weren't really into this, but I just look back and go, I could have lead for the rest of my life. My dad owned a tire shop. Yep. Right. Yeah. So tire weights have traditionally been uh, a place to acquire material and they're actually kind of perfect right out of the gate for hard cast. Um, can you kind of talk about where you can get lead and what I mean when I say that? Um, yeah. So, I mean, we legitimately ran the business um, producing hundreds of thousands of rounds a year off of, off of wheel weights. Okay. Um, that has dried up since then because, um, you know, the great state of California that ruins everything outlawed lead wheel weights um, about 15 years ago. Yeah. And so the rest of the industry's kind of followed. Um, it depends on how desperate you are, really. I mean, you can call, there's three foundries in the company or in the country that you can call and order a thousand pounds of lead and have it shipped in a semi to your door um, in six weeks if you want to pay for it. Sure. Um, smaller quantities there, there's always, always lead on Facebook marketplace. I mean, uh, we're in Missoula, Montana. There was four listings today when I checked just for, for cast bullets. Um, times get a little bit tougher. You know, there's lead in batteries. Um, yeah. x-ray labs are, 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 um, you know, the walls have, have lead in them. The old wheel weights from the turn of the century windows that were double hung. A lot of those are, are lead as well. Really? Um, and those are all softer lead. Yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's quite a few that were steel, but I've I've removed. Well, I always found when we used to tear old houses apart and shit up in the mountains, I always found cast iron ones. But I can see why they would use lead. Lead would be easier. Yeah, and lead was cheaper to produce than cast iron was. Yeah. So um, huh. yeah. now you say that, I'm like, why the hell did all those old houses have cast iron? Friggin', and for people that don't know what he's talking about. Like, we didn't always used to have these really nice vinyl windows. Like, you had these ass windows that were, like, the house I grew up in, really hard to open. And inside the, the, the walls on either side, they would have these weights hanging with a rope. And they were like a counterweight, so it made it easier to raise the window, and so the window didn't come slamming down shut. And um, we, we would find these old houses that were completely – it wasn't like we were tearing somebody's house down or something. Like, these were abandoned for 100 years. And we would, whatever we could get out of them to salvage, we would. And usually if you pulled open those windows, you'd find those weights you're talking about. But again, I've never seen anything but cast iron. And now I'm like, I don't, was there like some surplus of cast in central Pennsylvania in the early 1800s or what? But yeah, that makes sense. Well, and you guys are in steel country out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it, it was probably more economical out there. Um, but yeah, I've remodeled several houses here in the Missoula area that have had lead in them. Um, crazy. Okay. And then boats use lead as a ballast. Okay. Um, so one, the biggest thing you got to look at with lead, um, is zinc is, is a anti-corrosive for lead. And so in a lot of the, a lot of that ballast stuff has zinc in it, but zinc will really destroy a, uh, a barrel if you run too many rounds through. Okay. Um, and so that's that's the other thing to kind of keep in mind. There are still there are still lead wheel weights out there. Um, there's tire shops that are defunct that they it wasn't worth anything, and that's why my dad was able to buy it so cheap and produce you know value add these products and and provide for our family. Um, and so there's tire shops out there that still have piles and piles of lead because it wasn't worth anything. Yeah. Um, so you just really got to be selective. You know, if you're going to use wheel weights, uh, there's a number right on the center where the clip is that 
that'll say like T slash ZN. If it says ZN, it's got zinc in it. Okay. A, a little bit's not going to hurt, um, but a lot will, will really destroy barrels. The, the other place we used to get it for our, our decoy anchors, um, I just don't know that you would find this much anymore, but every once in a while we'd have somebody in the construction industry that was doing a remodel or something, and they'd end up pulling lead pipe out of a out of a house like because they used to actually use lead as pipe water pipe for us yeah. to drink out of and, and what have you and they you know if we knew something like that yeah bring us some and they might bring us half a five gallon bucket of smashed up lead pipe you know uh but i just don't know that you would see that much anymore the point is it's there if you look for it it's not that hard to find yeah and there's and there's different like lead there's lead but most lead has tin and anemone added to it yeah, uh, which are going to be your hardeners. So uh, we use the Brunel hardness scale for for bullets, and straight lead is going to be between eight and eight and ten on the Brunel scale, okay. uh, where most of your wheel weights uh, are going to be thirteen to fourteen. And ideal is that fourteen to fifteen sweet spot. Um, and you can really turn into an alchemist. And like, there's different products that have lead, like uh, old printers ink uh, from when they actually used printing presses. Um, is is called linotype and it's it's actually really high in tin and anemone so we would add a little bit of, of uh, tin and an, uh, we would mix in a pound of, of uh, tin and anemone to seven pounds of, of cast bullets or uh, to wheel weights and that was our magic you know our magic number huh. I, mean, I probably got a pretty damn hard pill um yeah yeah and then you know because we sold a lot of, of bullets to guys that are shooting the old Sharps rifles and 4570s black powder, and they want as close as you can to just straight lead. So we actually yeah. had three or four different, you know, um, stages of lead where for different production. Okay. Um, can you kind of walk people through, like, without doing a video tutorial, it's, it's not going to be enough to do it, but just so they can get through their head, like, you're going to sit down, you've got your lead, You've got your melting pot. You've got your mold. What does it look like from the time that we start till we're we're knocking a plate over and dropping pills out on a on a cloth to cool? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I wanted to bring that up because your uh, your thumb tag for this one. Um, the uh, when you first start, you know, you're going to plug in your in your furnace and you're going to melt that lead. And what you want to do, especially if you're using handheld, um, everybody's going to start basically with with handheld molds where there's where there's you know foot long handles on the molds and they split apart like uh like shears and so you're going to take that and a lot of guys will just wait until you're until you start casting that mold has to heat up so the first the first bullets that you create depending on the type of mold you have you know it's probably the first 20 to 40 bullets out of each mold are going to be um they're going to be somewhat shiny but they're going to have a lot of lines in them uh, and that's just because the mold's not hot enough to where it's it's allowing that lead to settle in there. So what I do is I take those molds and I stick them actually on the top and partially in the in the lead to heat it up because uh, it's it's going to decrease your your startup time exponentially. Um, and then so you get everything warm, you start casting, you're knocking that sprue plate off, opening up, dropping them down. Uh, when you get a really nice shiny bullet with no haze on it that has no lines, you're in production, and those are your keepers. You can shoot. I mean, for for ten years, all I shot were those first reject blends mm-hmm. um, that had the lines in them because they don't really affect it a whole lot. But if you're gonna do it, you might as well do it right, you know. 
Um, yeah, I guess we should know that you, they can just go right back in the pot. Yeah, yeah. There's that's the thing about casting bullets. There's zero waste because all yeah. of your all of your uh, your caps that come off the off the sprue plate that you knock off. Everything, you know, um, I just have a gloved hand there and I, I'm just continually, as soon as I knock three or four sprue plates off, it's going right back in the that's pot. It. And so the, the faster you're re, kind of re, regenerating that pot, the easier it goes because that lead's got to be 720 ish degrees. Mm. Um, and so as you're casting, you can get in a rhythm where you can actually overheat the mold. Um, and so they're going to start getting fuzzy and blurry like the, um, you know, like that picture. And so all you do at that point in time is open them up and let them cool a little bit, and then you can get right back into it. Um, as you progress along, a lot of people will actually have a, a, a very small fan. Um, a USB fan would actually work now, um, but up on the, um, like, sitting next to you. And I never cast one bullet at a time. Um, okay. I've always got two set, at least two, um, two molds going. Okay. Because as one heats up and you stick it under the fan to cool, if you get in a rhythm and you're casting similar weights, you can actually get it to where as soon as the one is too hot, you pull the other one out of the fan and stick the hot one under the fan. And that one, you might, you might make one or two bullets off of it. And then you're, you're back in business. Okay. So it just depends on how fast you want to go. It um, just keeps you rolling though. It just keeps you rolling. Yeah. And uh, if you're going to dedicate the time, you know, I'm all about efficiency in, in, in what you're doing, whether it's a hobby or not. Um, cause it's way cooler to have a pile of twice the, twice the bullets when you're done versus, you know, just half. Okay. So, uh, and at that point in time, you let them cool, you let them cool all the way through and then you're moving on to the lubricizer step. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that next. So we've, we've, we've started casting, we made some, pitched them back, got what we're looking for. Nice results. Now we have this little pile of, of brand new baby lead bullets who were just born, and we want to get them in the to the right condition to actually shoot because we don't just take them, shove them in a cartridge, and shoot them. There's there's some other steps in the middle. Can you kind of talk about what that's like? Yeah. So when you cast the bullets, you know all of your all of your molds are pretty well the same. Most molds are going to be between two, four, up to ten bullets on that mold. Um, but as you cast, the different temperatures of the lead as well as even three different bullets cast out of the same spot on that mold are going to be different diameters. Um, and with, with ammunition, it's all about diameters. And so say we're casting a 45 ACP round. Um, you know, a, a, a standard bullet is going to be a, um, a, a copper jacketed bullet. When you order it, it's going to say 0.451 diameter. Okay. Um, when you, when they come out of the caster, they're actually like, anywhere between four, five, four to four, five, five. And there's a pretty big variance there, especially when you get into micro differences. And so we're going to run them through a lubricizer, which is basically um, lead is malleable. Even hard lead is malleable. Um, so it's basically this stand and, and Lee builds one. Um, I, I haven't used it a whole lot. Um, I, I believe it's Lee that builds it. Um, anyway, so you're actually pushing the bullets through these sizer dies and that's conforming them all to the same, um, it, it's, it's machine um, steel. And so it's conforming them all to the same exact size. Um, and for your cast bullets, you're always going to be at least one thousandth uh, larger in diameter than a, than a copper bullet. And that's just going to help with, with catching the rifling. 
So in that same process, um, the newer machines are all going to lubricate the bullet as well. There's a band when you look at a cast bullet. There's indentations um, towards the base around the outside, and those are lube grooves. And so you're going to fill those with lube. And what that's also going to do, uh, it's kind of like the wad. You know, when you used to have a muzzle loader, they'd put the paper paper patch wad um, and then the bullet down the barrel. Well, that's that that um, uh, lube that lube melts at 120 degrees, so it's creating that much more of a gas seal. So you have a lot more consistency. So you're doing all that at the same time with literally one cycle through a machine, you're done. Um, Better living through chemistry. It. Yeah. Better living through chemistry instead of using wads or using uh, a, a lubricant that reacts to heat and forms that seal for us and also provides a lubricant, shocking yeah. as it is, right? Um when we go to reload these rounds and, you know, I'm sitting there and I've got my Hornady 240 grain semi-jacketed hollow point from a wonderful factory where Hornady made it, even though they tried to blow themselves up a few months ago uh, with their primer operation. But otherwise, they do pretty good work. Uh, and then I've got the Jack Spearco uh, hunk of lead that I've made myself. We, now, we've got lube and size done at this point. Is there anything we do differently on loading that round because we're using a lead round or specifically a homemade lead round versus something that a engineering company like Hornady or Lyman or somebody made for us? Um, so it's going to start with your primer. Um, a lot of times, you know, you've got small pistol and then small pistol magnum, large pistol, large pistol magnum. Um, the primers don't make a huge difference on that. You know, you're just going for a bigger explosion rate, um, but the they're cheaper, right? So if you're loading cast, unless you're loading, um, you know, the 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 hunting rounds type deal, um, I just use a regular. Even if I'm doing a 44 mag, I just use a regular large pistol uh, primer, mm -hmm. just for cost effectiveness. This this whole thing is, you know, it's it's fun to create. Um, but a lot of the reason we do this is cost effectiveness. Um, and so that, and then you're, you're typically going to use a, a, you're definitely going to use less powder than your, than your jacketed bullets. Um, and all of that data is in that book that we talked about, the, the Lyman cast bullet handbook. Um, and I, I never give out load data recommendations or powder mm -hmm. or anything just because of liability. Um, but I tend to use a slightly different powder than if I'm using a jacketed bullet. Okay. Um, that's going to have a, a little bit slower burn rate so that we're not everything to do with that is to not flash melt the back of the bullet so that we don't get the lighting. Do you ever do any loads that are more like cowboy action, you know, lazing pirate X or something like that? I, I don't, I've got a Thompson center. I haven't used in forever. That's the only okay. thing I've ever had that uses pirate X. Okay. <clears throat> We uh, more cleaning to worry about and yeah. you don't need it. I was just wondering if you did it. Cause a lot of the guys that do like the cowboy, they want the smoke, you know? Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and we had a lot of those customers. I mean, we, we were using different beeswax lubes and all sorts of stuff that was just a nightmare. Um, but those guys loved it and, and we were their go-to supplier, but I've just never really been into that. Um, I like, I like magazines and, and, <clears throat> and not having to clean so much afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about gas checks. You've mentioned those a couple of times. If you really want to up the performance capability, that's kind of the go-to to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So with gas checks, you're uh, 
you you may have a, a cast bullet mold for a 44 magnum with a th- for a 300 grain uh, bullet. Okay. That doesn't mean that you can put a gas check on it. They're a special mold with a recess in the base. And what a gas check is, uh, for all intents and purposes, it, it's a penny with an edge up that, that kind of comes up and it crimps on the back. And when you size it on the bullet, it, 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 it kind of mushrooms in and clamps into the bullet. Um, and it's copper. And what they, it, it allows, it allows the back of that bullet to not melt. And if it does have some heat transference, um, the, the, the copper, um, <clears throat> is going to help clear out all of that from the barrel. Yeah. It's, it's basically a little shallow copper cup. Basically, yes. It clamps on the back of, of the lead bullet. And, and, and like you said, it prevents that heating. It also helps prevent, I wouldn't say prevents because nothing's 100%. It helps prevent blow by of the gases getting by and kind of scorching the rounds. Richard Lee talks about that a lot in his book where as they were coming up with formulas to do this without gas checks, they would fire these rounds into like the 12 foot deep section of a swimming pool. And then they would pick them up off the bottom and they could look at the rifling and they could tell in, you know, different hardness, different loads, et cetera, which rounds had blow by of the gases and which rounds didn't. And of course you go to a gas check and you, if you do everything the way you're supposed to, you pretty much kill that altogether. Yeah. And it, it's all, you know, like I, I love it when you say it, it depends, you know, yeah. it, 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 yeah. it's all dependent on you, the, the creator. And, and I, I kind of, I kind of take the casting and the reloading and look at it kind of like as a chef with his recipes and, and cooking. It's very, it's very similar. And I think that's why I feel very comfortable moving back and forth between the two. Let's discuss a few questions that are coming from the audience. And now would be a good time. If you have questions and you have not yet posted them, follow this example right here, the word question in all caps, followed by your question. And we'll try to get uh, an answer for you. Kumaiori Farm says, anything special in casting for 12-gauge shell slugs or otherwise, the only mold I've ever even seen, let alone used, is a drive key mold from Lee. And I have I have done that, and my feelings is they're okay, but they're not the greatest thing in the world. And 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 I've got experience with those, and they're a nightmare. I mean, it's okay. it's just begging for frustration at that point. Um, I yeah, I would, unless you have an unlimited amount of hair to pull, I, I recommend everybody stay away from doing that. Doing slugs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I do know some people that like cast buckshot. I, I, I've never done that either, but I mean, basically you're cast, you're casting mini musket balls. Yeah. So it, I, it's not that hard, but a shotgun slug is big and it's, the one I mentioned, it's called a drive key slug, and it basically the mold has two parts to create a uh, almost a pellet-like shape, but it's not shaped like, you know, a, a drive key slug from Lee looks a lot like a foster slug, which is your standard slug, but it's got this opening in the back, and nightmare is not the word I would use, but not great. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. Like... I don't know. I guess if you shot slugs every day or something for some reason, but you know, you can go out and buy 50 slugs preloaded pretty inexpensively. And that's kind of where I come down on that. And it's all in, in how much are you going to do and what, what's your time worth? Um, because I mean, they, they were doable, but you know, and, and really that's from the context of we were selling a ton of stuff. And so it was, it was the one thing that I did not want to ever do. 
because it was the most pain in the butt. Um, yeah. And, and I've never really been a load for shotgun kind of guy. I've always had friends that have loaded for shotgun and, and, and there may be a, you know, a, a covert exchange of, of I drop these and you pick these up. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I, I did a lot of shot shell reloading at one point cause I was doing a lot of shooting, but you know, I'm talking about eights for target practice. I'm not talking about slugs. It was, like I said, I did it. It worked. Okay. I know how to do that now. And it just didn't seem worth it. D says, could you speak on paper patching smokeless and black powder? So I really don't have a ton of experience with it. It's never been an interest of mine. Yeah, I've never done it. Just haven't. So I maybe somebody has a comment they can make on that. But I've I've stuck pretty much to mostly I'm not going super high velocity. I'm loading these really heavy rounds for pistols and pistol carbines is mainly what I do with that. So it's just not an issue. I I've never even uh, I've bought rounds that were pre gas checked. I've never even I don't have a mold to make a gas check bullet to put a gas check on them. So I've never even done that. So um, Dark Horse says protective gear, mask, gloves, anything like that. Yeah, you know um, I always wear I always wear uh, ear or eye protection. Um, you uh, never yeah. know, like, especially when you have a stock of, of, of lead, um, that lead kind of draws in moisture and everything. So you never know when you're going to stick lead in there and it's going to pop, um, or when, you know, you're going to spill something and, and whatever. So always, um, and then I use those, um, those really thin, uh, like cloth stretchy gloves that are dipped in rubber, um, okay. for like garden work and stuff. I wear those. Um, and then I just stay in a well ventilated area and, who knows? Maybe that's why my asthma is so bad. Is I was a little lax with that. <laughs> <laughs> Lifetime of breathing lead. Um, you know, the the more you do it, the more um, you know, the, the more chances you have for for mess ups and stuff. But I I had a regimen where we we had our blood tested for lead um, fairly often, just for okay. that matter. And um, you can wear a respirator and do some things, but it really being in a well ventilated area is the best thing. Okay. Um, let's see. Question is casting for black powder muzzle loaders encased ammo the same process. So yeah, um, the uh, it it really is the the biggest difference is the lead that you're going to use. Black powder is always going to use a lot softer lead. Um, a lot of times they're going to be a, a bigger and longer bullet, especially if you're talking your your rifles and stuff. Um, 45s and stuff like that. They're all going to be about the same length as usual. Um, and you can use the same molds. If you want to do black powder, 250 grain 45s, you can use the same mold. Um, biggest thing you're going to do is when you size it, you're going to size it dry and then you're going to manually apply the lube afterwards. <clears throat> Just because I've never found a, a way to really apply that lube um, in an efficient way for packaging and stuff. And so it's literally like a block of soap and you're just going to kind of scratch it on there. Um, but otherwise, everything's the same. The heat process, the everything. You're turning raw lead into something of a specific mold. It's, it's There's really not a lot of other ways to do it, I guess. I've Only one way to do it that I know of <laughs> anyway. Uh, David says, I'd love to know your opinion on bullet swagging. My understanding is they're basically a soft lead round that is pressure formed for high accuracy, accuracy or HP rounds. Um, yeah, so swaging is a is a completely different process. You're actually using a, a lead that you purchase on a roll um, okay. and cutting it and and forcing it in a cool process. In um, it it works. A lot of guys do it. Um, you don't get 
you don't get the production and it's a little bit more expensive. Um, at that point, if I'm going for, you know, high performance rounds, I'm just going to switch to, to something jacketed or, um, yeah. you know, I have a policy. I, I never pack my own ammo for protection. I always use a store-bought round. Um, and that's yeah. just so I don't have to deal with the lawyer. Yeah, I, I would say that's something that's good advice. Masada Yub gives that same advice. And he's not just talking about, you know, cast your own rounds. He's like, you don't even reload no. the rounds that go in your self-defense pistol. You're handing some renegade prosecutor additional, you know, ammo, pun not intended, to attack you. And, and the way Mossad put it was something to the effect of, this man was not even content with the death machines made by Remington and Winchester. He had to go out and make his special own man killer rounds, you know. And you know that's stupid, but you're going to be judged by 12 people and they may not be very smart. And the odds that they're going to be informed about ballistics and ammo and, and how, know how ridiculous that is or understand the defense response to it, not great. So why put yourself in that perspective? Exactly. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've loaded everything for every caliber I've ever shot, um, including teaching guys how to, uh, to reload in Africa for 458 lots and stuff. Um, and I, I have never, ever packed around, um, on my dad's advice and, and it just makes solid sense. Um, I always, you know, Hornaday XTP or when you could still get the, uh, um, oh, the old nine millimeters, uh, I forget what they're called, but yeah. Gold dot or whatever, yeah. Um, we got one more question here, maybe two. Uh, what fluxes do you like? Sawdust, borax, something more exotic? Is flux even used in casting, or is it just in recovering wheel weights from other scrap? So that's something I glanced over and, and is in my notes. Um, we we use rejected lead bullets um, and and the and the extra waste um, um, lube from from the lubricizer process. Um, we would even take like, now granted we were on a lot more scale, but we would do a whole five gallon buckets worth of wheel weights and you got to pick through them and get the valve stems and you and the trash and stuff out. Um, but when you're melting it down, um, you're pre-processing because there's steel clips that float to the surface and everything. And you want to make ingots. Um, we would always, after you skimmed off all of that stuff, take a couple handfuls of, of rejected lead bullets that something went wrong with, throw it in there, let them melt. Um, and typically lit it on fire and stir it around. And what that does is, is that fluxes everything out of it. Yeah. Just um, explain what fluxing means. Cause there's some people out there. They just went, what? So fluxing is basically you're adding a, you're adding an item to the molten lead um, and, and mixing it in and it's drawing all the impurities out of that molten product and typically to the surface where you can skim it off. So you're getting a higher, higher purity pro- uh, product. Yeah, and we did kind of like blow past that, so I'm glad that we were brought back by a question to it because we may have given the impression you take wheel weights, throw them in a thing, and start making bullets, and that's 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 not really the process there. Yeah, I mean you can, but it's a mess. It's not what you want to know. <laughs> so, like you say, you're gonna pour ingots, so we're gonna pour known quantity sizes of lead that's ready to go for our purposes. And we have done whatever hardening or whatever we wanted to, and we fluxed it. And, and then we're working with pure material, I guess, is the way to look at it, or the material we want to work with. And I guess I, I've never really bought ingots of lead, but I'm guessing, you know, anything there's a market for, there's a product for. So you probably can actually buy lead for reloading that is already had all of this done and it's ready to go. 
Oh, Midway and, and Lee and a bunch of sites have it for sale. By the time you get it, it's five, ten bucks a pound and it takes the, the economics out of it. But if you're just getting going, it makes it really easy to have a product to drop in and start casting and learning. So, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't do it for production or if I was making, you know, a ton of rounds, but totally to get going and, and kind of ease into it, it's definitely a good option. Yeah. I mean, to analogize that, like what I'll say to people often that want to get into gardening. So you put in a couple of raised beds this year, go to the nursery and buy your plants. Yeah. Learn to garden this year and start plants in your second year. And that way you've started with good starts. You know that that wasn't the problem and that way you can correct anything else. So in this case, you kind of buy a few ignits, you make some rounds, you get that process done and then you can start worrying about, you know, flexing out your supplier or whatever, you know, and that, I guess that also prevents the toolbox fallacy we've been talking about lately. Like I want to start doing this, but I can't find any like go buy some. And, and then because what you're really saying is I'm not sure I really want to do this. So when you see how easy it really is to do and it, I don't know. It's one of those things I talk about how a lot of times people talk about something like meditation and they mean sitting in a lotus position, contemplating their navel or whatever. And to me, like there's certain hobbies and activities I have that are vet, very meditative. Reloading is one of those. Casting is one of those. And I think so a lot of times people that aren't sure about something like this, when they try it, they go, oh, this is cool. Because it's just dangerous enough. It's not super dangerous, but it's just dangerous enough that you have to put your phone down and your beer is for after it. And you have to be left alone and you get in this kind of zone where this is the thing that I'm doing now. And in a world where we constantly multitask everything that we do, you know, it's it's good, I think, to have some things that are like that. I saw fishing, like when you have an, a, an 18 pound redfish on, on a rod with eight pound line, you kind of got to focus on this one thing until you're done with it. And I see, again, reloading, casting, some of these things that are they have just enough consequence to messing up that you have to focus. Yeah, totally. And that's that's for me, it's 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 that Zen time, like like you're saying, um, and and really enjoyable. And the thing about it is, I mean, you, you buy a hundred dollar melting pot, even if you spend 50 or 60 bucks on lead and you buy you just go to a, a, a gun show or something and you pick up a random set of molds, even if you don't have a gun for it yeah. um, or, or intention, um, you can be teaching yourself how to cast bullets just over and over again, recycling all those bullets and everything. Um, and yeah, well, that never goes even, away. You just pitch it back in. You just pitch it back in everything, the sprue plate, everything. And so you, you literally lose nothing uh, when you're doing it and you can figure out if you actually want to pursue this or not um, fairly quickly and then expand from there. You don't, it's not like you have to spend a thousand bucks to get going. You can get going for a couple hundred bucks. Dark horse here says any material to show the process. I think he means you personally. I don't know that you have a YouTube channel or anything like that, but there's like, there's like, a, if you just put casting lead bullets on YouTube, there's a thousand people showing you how to do it. Yeah, there, there's a ton. And you know, we're, we're in the middle of, um, of, of making some huge life changes right now. And, and on the docket for this year is actually to start putting out some uh, some casting and reloading content. But okay. that's going to come later on in the year. But there's there's a ton of stuff out there. Um, you know, books, YouTube, it's it's all there. Like you you gave the uh, the manual by Lyman, and that's certainly a great reference right there. And like I said, Modern Reloading by Richard Lee outlines the process very well. Additionally, and 
I think the the shooting world is kind of like people have their own favorites, and I really like the work that Richard did uh, back in the day, so to speak. So I really like to read his writing, but all of these books will give you all the information you need. And you know that they're thorough because when a guy puts something like that in a book, before he puts the book out, knowing that he could get the shit suit out of himself, he has his lawyers look over it and make sure he didn't screw nothing up. So I think you can trust those resources fairly well. We'll go ahead with one more question. David says, beyond heavy for caliber, where would you say somebody should start? 30 cal for lever and revolver, 9 millimeter for practice purposes, like kind of where, like, I know you just said you can load anything, even if you don't have it, because you can recycle the lead, but uh, is there a, kind of a sweet spot for people to, to to start out where it makes the most sense? You know, I would start off with pistols, um, really. The... Uh the the nines, forties, and forty fives. I mean, pretty much everything anymore comes from the factory with the barrel you can run it through. Mm. So the question is, what are you what are you loading right now? What do you like to shoot? Um, you know, the forty five ACP is is inherently subsonic um, for for most factory rounds. Nine millimeter, you're pushing a little higher. Forty is is pretty close. Um, so I would start with that with those with those pistol calibers that, that you're actively shooting and reloading for already. Cause you've already got a little history there. Yeah. Um, and, and you're worried about 25 yard accuracy. Um, I would, I would wait until you're quite a bit more advanced <clears throat> to get into some long gun stuff. Agreed. Agreed. And I would say like, to me, kind of the sweet spot is like the 38 special, 357 Magnum, 44 special, 44 Magnum, your straight wall, cylinder revolvers. All of those are very easy, not just to cast for, but to reload. Yeah. Um, and and then you're probably also not needing to reload 500 million of them because, you know, a revolver will slow your, your cadence of shot down a bit, too. Um, David also says the, the cast bullets, B-O-O-L-I-T-S form. And that is that's how it's spelled for that form. I'm familiar with it uh, is very extensive. And uh, Hartke uh, Pez says steel muffin pans can be molds for two pound ignis. Just don't put them back in the kitchen. And I've actually seen a lot of people cast ignits from things like that. So that's something that you can do as well because steel melts at a much higher temperature than lead. That's what part of what makes this easy. I think maybe some we assume people know things that they don't. Like lead actually melts at a fairly low temperature compared to other metals. Yeah. Well, and I mean, for years we we just always bought old crappy cast, uh, cast iron stuff. Like we had a stack of twelve of the corn cob molds. Okay. Um, you know that. Oh, like, oh, like for making uh, corn dodgers or cornbread. Yeah, yeah, like they're six inches long and they and you flip it's flat on one side and it looks like corn. Yeah. Um, we used those for years because you could just keep running through them where and and they were rigid, so you could pick it up. That lead doesn't have to be completely cold to come out of the mold. Um, yeah. You know, and so you're you're basically waiting when you pour when you pour lead, it's going to be. Um, and this is for the casting process too. It's going to be liquid and very shiny. And how you can tell it's time to knock that sprue plate off is it gets really fuzzy and 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 um, distorted on the outside, kind of looking. And so you just kind of when you're when you're making your ingot stock, you I either used a ladle, um, a cast iron ladle, or um, poured it off and put it in those molds. And as soon as they got fuzzy, you just took a pair of uh, channel locks and knocked them over on the ground flopped it back on the thing and you didn't have to worry about it bending or breaking. So that's what we used forever. Huh. That's, that's actually a really good idea. Um, and they would just look cool shit. Too. I got these little, little lead half size pieces of uh, corn cobbing throw at people, you know? Well, and, um, and there was a, there was a reason we did that because 
um, especially when you're talking a, a 15 or a 20 pound hopper, um, those longer, uh, those longer inglet ingots, you can set them in their vertical and they're going to melt down a lot faster. Whereas if you take a pie tin, um, that's a bigger block that's going to take a, it takes more space in the, in the pot, but it also takes a lot longer to heat it through. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'll just bring something up. Maybe you know about this machine tool, whatever the hell it is. I remember this from years ago. It's before I did the podcast. Uh, when I was in regional sales and one of my fellow, like my contemporary regional VPs was pretty big into this stuff. He, he told me about this story like over a beer one time and I never looked into it, but he was talking about making cast bullets for ARs and using the spent brass from 22 long rifle to forge a jacket. Have you ever heard about that? Yeah, that's a lot more like swaging. Um, okay. and, and there are guys that do that. And that's one of those, check out this cool thing I did. Yeah, um, yeah. Not practical in the least. Um, and and for all you guys out there, um, I know that cast bullets are, are, are um, a, a thing that a lot of people don't know. Any gas-operated system, you are not running cast bullets through it. You're going to plug yeah. that gas tube with the first or second round. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something we didn't say. Yeah, you're sending off of gas nuts. No. <laughs> That's not what this is for. Um, hot gas and lead equals melted lead. Melted lead equals coating equals issues with something yeah. like that. Um, now, your pistol caliber uh, carbines are, are perfectly yeah. fine. So if you've got an AR-9 or an AR-45, that's a great thing for it. Yeah. Or if you're an old fart like me, you like lever guns, then it's not an issue, right? It's like kind of made for that. And when the guy asked about 30 cal uh, in that prior question, I would say, like, if you're talking about, like, a 30-30 Winchester – like your your old school grandpa cowboy right there, like that that works. That that's kind of a good place to be. Oh, we made a hundred and a hundred and fifteen grain thirty caliber bullet for those guys, and they sold like hotcakes. Really, like guys guys loved them. We we probably sold, you know, they were probably probably in the in the mid range of of the volume of what we sold was, was really thirty carbine. Well, yeah, I it's, thought it went the other way, but I'm a hunter, so I think you know heavy for caliber, but. No, yeah. that makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah, especially you know, competition shooting because then you already have a, a a a charge that's that's moderate by comparison, but that lighter round, less muscle jump because that game's all about speed. Yep, yep. And you, see those you know, shoot that gun never moves. It looks like it's a twenty-two, and there's a reason, you know. And I'm a big fan of having calibers that are are identical. So, like I've got a we've got a, a Rossi um, octagon barrel lever action in 357. Yeah. And so you pair that with the GP100, and we we made a 200 grain wide flat nose uh, 357 bullet that you and I talked about um, already. Yeah. And, uh, that thing it was unstoppable because you were getting 23, 24 inches of penetration in wet foam books, uh, which is a lot of mass to push through out of a 357. That's fun. That's what makes me want to go play right now. Um, <laughs> I've got a, a, a Ruger 357, uh, an 8-shot revolver 357 Magnum, and quite a few 357 rifles. And I, I like that carbine pistol combination. And I, I would say if there's a sweet spot for our subject today, if you're that person or you can see yourself becoming that person, you know, straight wall revol- revolver cartridge paired with a carbine, it, it's kind of like, and there's there's nothing you really can't hunt with that. You're going to sacrifice range, but you know, if you compare it to uh, 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 the muzzle loaders that our forefathers conquered the continent with, you're you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, man. Hey, this has been cool. Do you got any, I, I know you have a website, I guess it's, uh, not got a lot on it yet. Do you have anything you want to share as far as like a, uh, YouTube channel or anything like that right now? Um, so I'm trying to get into the podcast thing. Um, and so I've got a podcast called preparing for prosperity. Um, you know, it's, it's lifestyle in our, in our homesteading and, um, and just kind of the things that we're doing to, uh, to prepare to prosper in the future. Um, okay. uh, you know, back to generational living, I'm sitting in a tiny house that I'm building for my grandma. That's 20 feet from my front door, um, to, to move generations back onto the same property. Um, so all my socials are prepare are, uh, at preparing for prosperity. Uh, I took a page out of Nicole's book and I have a website called, or my, you can just go to ajharrison.co. Um, okay. and that'll take you to the website. It's not a great website. It's not got a ton on it right now. Um, it's part of what we're working on. Uh, and then on YouTube, uh, is preparing for prosperity and we're, we're starting to load some content on there as well. All right, well, if you pop me an email as soon as we're done to make sure I don't miss anything as far as your links, I'll make sure they all get in the video notes below and the audio, actually, I'm sorry, the audio notes that the link for the video, the link for the audio notes is in the dadgone video notes below this video if you're watching the video and that's where all that stuff will be. So if you pop me that email real quick, AJ, I'll make sure that I don't, I don't miss nothing. All right. Man, I appreciate you being with us today and uh, helping us take a look at a subject. Like I said, in 15 years, we never dug this deep into it. It was really a great subject. And I know you got some other things going on. So as those things come online, get back with me. We'll have you on the show again. Yeah, totally. Appreciate being here. Thank you, man. Anyway, guys, uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up real quick before I let you go. I got an announcement. We're going to call it a soft launch. Today... And forever going forward, if you want to, you can purchase the Simplified Bioreactor Composting Course. It is available. It's at a website that you probably haven't heard anything about yet called Home Food Systems, homefoodsystems.com. Uh, there's a list of the courses that are coming there as well. I will have a link straight to the Bioreactor Composting Course. It is finished. We are still dinking around on the back end to make sure everything functions just perfectly for the student experience, but so far everything is uh, seems to work really well. When you go to sign up, it's kind of a two-step process. You have to register as a site user, and then you can purchase the course. I think Tom got that kind of funneled together today, though, where it's uh, much more a single-step process as far as the, the user is concerned. So we're learning this uh, platform. It's called LearnDash is what we've built everything on. Uh, but the bioreactor compost course is available. If you're an MSB member, it's not 40 bucks. It's 35 bucks. You just need to log into your account to get the discount code before, uh, you go ahead and, and sign up. Cause I'm not retroactively discounting five bucks. It's about 12% discount. So we came up with a pretty good discount for you guys. Uh, next up today, remember you can always help support this show. By doing your online shopping, starting at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Item of the day is one I brought around a lot in the last couple of months. I'm very happy with my purchase of it. It's made by a company called Vivor, V-E-V-O-R, the commercial 10-inch meat slicer. You guys know me, man. I'm big on, on investments. When I buy something, I want to buy top quality, something that will last a very long time, hopefully longer than me, and something that will pay for itself across time. You know, casting uh, lead bullets that we talked about today will pay for itself eventually and becomes a profitable hobby. 
Uh, a commercial meat slicer like this is 240 bucks, I think is what it's on sale for today. And if you use it the way that I talk about in my article, and if you're somebody that uses buys a lot of sliced meats at all, it will pay for itself in a few months. And it's just gravy from then on out. I looked at a dozen candidates when I picked the one that I bought. I was willing to spend more money than I did on this one. But I came down on this one because it had good reviews. It works great. And it was very smartly engineered in that if you think about using a meat slicer, when you're done slicing, you need to clean. It's a machine. It moves. It's got little crannies and nooks in it. So you got to take the blade off of it. So what they did with this one is they put a couple tapped holes in the blade, and there's an adjustment knob for another purpose that's on the back. You can unscrew that adjuster knob and go into one of those holes. And when you pull that blade off, you've got a handle that you can hold on to because you've got a 360-degree razor-sharp 10-inch round disc. And I'm sure plenty of ER doctors would think this is a good idea because they're tired of putting stitches in people's fingers. So that alone was kind of like the final push that made me give this meat slicer a shot. I've got several videos in the write-up. It's totally worth checking out. But remember, no matter what you buy, you can always support us just by starting your online shopping at tspaz.com. Again, check out the Simplified Bioreactor Composting course. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, it is available now. We'll do a more uh, official launch of it tomorrow. I was actually working with Tom to get it ready to go right up as, as AJ was waiting on me in, in the back for today's episode. We were still is it really okay to go ahead and open it up? We decided it was, so it's available now. Again, MSB members, get your discount before you sign up. And with that, uh, thank you for tuning in today. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Survival Podcast. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.